0: Name we pray. Amen. Amen. So, brother and Kelby and Miss Jessie are taking a well-deserved weekend of a getaway to recuperate, relax, and refresh. Uh, praying that they're having a wonderful time and. We're going to continue in God's word in John 20. We're going to do verses 24 through 31 this week. I was speaking with Casey about it. She said, um, It's a question she's asked me quite a lot uh, since I've been preaching. Is it going to be a good one? And I said, I think so because I really enjoy, I really enjoy talking about Tom. Maybe the reason I enjoy talking about Thomas the most is the fact that I identify with Thomas a lot. Um, But last week, Brother Kelby covered a text about an encounter after the resurrection when Jesus appeared to the disciples. Um, But guess who wasn't there? Thomas. I don't know what was so important, but he wasn't there. I'm not going to take the liberty that J.C. Ryle gives in his commentary of everybody needs to be at church every week because you're going to miss something if you don't. Uh, Thomas is a good example of that. If he'd been hanging out with the disciples, he wouldn't have missed it. But I, I think that's a little bit too much of a liberty to take. I pray that everybody comes to church as much as they can. Um, and here's God's word preached. That's what's important. That's what we, that's what we strive for. He wasn't there. But let's see what happens eight days later. Now hear the infallible, inspired word of God. John 20, verses 24 through 31. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into his side, I will never believe. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of of the disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's pray for a moment. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that it is inspired, inerrant, and infallible. We can trust what You say in Your Word above all other words. God, we ask that through the Holy Spirit, you would take us on a journey through this word that we may understand all that you would have us to understand. Sanctify us in the truth. Your word is truth. In Christ's name. Amen. I pray that through this text we will all see Christ more clearly. May we all be changed through the this beautiful narrative and interaction between Christ and Thomas. We're going to have five, basically five important key elements of this particular narrative. This is a narrative as it's retelling something that actually happened. Um, All of these, I hope, will have important practical application to us all individually as well. But let's get to the first point. Point one is Thomas's skepticism. As I said, I identify with Thomas. I can be very skeptical at times. I can I'm a see-it-to-believe-it kind of guy, right? Verse 24 and 25 says, Now, Thomas was one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails I place and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Now, if we look at it with our, with our minds, Thomas is really not saying anything that's like unreasonable, really. These disciples said the the Lord who was murdered and died on a cross and was put in a tomb, we all know he was put there even though we didn't see it because we all ran off. We know it happened. He was here last, he was here just the other day. And he's not saying anything unreasonable by saying i got to see that to believe it if we're honest we would probably say the same thing in this situation i believe it when i see it right that's something i feel like i would say in his situation and if we look honestly at, at thomas throughout scripture his skepticism is not new to thomas if you go to john eleven sixteen, 16 they were going someplace that jesus was not liked and what did thomas say it says, So Thomas called the twins, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go, that we may die with him. Then if you go to John 14, 5, a wonderful interaction. Let not your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If I were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? If I go, I'll come. And, and Thomas asked the question, probably that we were on their minds. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you're going. How can we know the way? Thomas was skeptical. He was a skeptic by nature, which is not necessarily sinful. But it's part of who he is. His time speaking in Scripture just show that. They describe him so clearly. Seemingly, this is his nature, and we can't fault him for this. I feel like I'd be the same way. And, in fact, if we look, the fact that this is contained in the Scripture, that they put it in there, that somebody was skeptical that it happened, is just another testament of how authentic this document that we have is. Why would they put any skepticism? Let's make it all look good. Well, no, Thomas doubted. Let's put that in there. And I hope I'll answer why here in just a, here in just a bit. But Let's go to... Point two. Point two is Christ's care for Thomas. Verse 26 and 27 says, Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here, see my hands. Put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Christ came again and appeared to the disciples one more time, eight days later after the first time. And he came for one purpose, according to what we see in Scripture. One purpose he came. What was the purpose? Thomas. He came for Thomas we know that because who does he talk to he says peace be with you that's his greeting because it can be scary if somebody appears in a locked room right and then he says thomas here they are touch them that shows great care for one individual doesn't it i love how jc ryle puts it he says the holy ghost has taken care to supply supply abundant evidence that Jesus is rich in patience as well as compassion and that he bears with the infirmities of all his people. Jesus shows so clearly here that he cares for his people. He comes to Thomas and tells him, Touch the wounds. Now he's told him in the past, I will rise again. So he could have said, Thomas, now I told you that the Son of Man was going to be delivered and he would die and he would rise again on the third day. I told you and you said you don't believe. How dare you? He could have said that. Does he say that? He goes right to where Thomas is. Thomas says, I will believe if I can touch the wounds. And what does he say? What's the first thing Jesus says? I'm here. Touch the wounds. He meets Thomas where he is at that point. He says, touch him. If it will make you believe, touch him. Now, this is much like his patience with us, isn't it? He saves us. He calls us to righteousness. He bears with our imperfections and sins. And he forgives us. And he saves us to the uttermost. What a wonderful Savior, that he would care enough for us. In Scripture, there is no answer as to whether he did touch him. Doesn't say he did. Doesn't say he didn't. But his reaction to Christ is very clearly, very clearly recorded. Point three, Christ's deity. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. One thing we must quickly notice is that there is no rebuke from Christ to Thomas for calling him God. Now, if you look in other scriptures, there's points and places in scriptures where, like, uh, some dudes encounter an angel and they want to worship him thinking it's a God because it's probably really scary and really holy and they've never seen anything like it. And what do the angels do? They rebuke him. No, do not worship us. Then you see over in uh, Acts where a couple of disciples work a miracle and people want to bow and call them gods, and they instantly do what? We aren't God, but we know who is. They rebuke him. Does Jesus rebuke Thomas for calling him God? No, never does. Because there's something we must know about this declaration. Thomas wasn't mincing words by saying, my Lord and my God, okay? He wasn't using a term of like, you're super awesome, you're great, you're a superhero, you're, you're doing, you are do wonderful, powerful things. That's not what he was saying. The way he said God, in his language, directly corresponds To a very important word in Hebrew. That word being. Yahweh. There is only one Yahweh. He is the Lord and creator of all the world. He is God. There was no mix up. In what Thomas said. My Lord. And Yahweh. He meant. The God. He meant the God of all the universe, the one true and living God. The deity of Christ has been a point of contention for those who challenge our faith throughout history. They try to make Christ not God. If they can make Christ not God, then they can begin to diminish the things that Christianity believes. They can get rid of the Jesus is God thing. They can get rid of a lot of other things they think. But I thank God for men throughout history who have fought that. And we know that it is a foundational element of our Christianity that Jesus Christ is God, 100% God, 100% man. God made flesh, the incarnation of the one true God on this earth. And this, in a statement, was Thomas' profession of faith in that God? So, where did that profession of faith take Thomas? Because Thomas gets a bad rap. In kids' songs and kids' teachings, he's doubting Thomas, right? That's how we know him. We give him that adjective, right? Old Doubting Thomas, Old Doubting Thomas. I think skeptical Thomas would probably be a little bit of an easier push for him because he was skeptical. But where did this profession take him? He says, my Lord and my God. Well, that profession of faith took him 2,800 miles away from Jerusalem to India to a place called Madras, India a place where he preached the gospel in India and where he tore down Hindu idols. That's where his faith took him. It took him up to a mountain to pray, a mountain that in 72 A.D., the Hindu priest of Kali found him with a spear, took his life. As he was praying for them. On a mountain that is now called St. Thomas Mountain. He was so strongly convicted that he was looking at God in flesh. That he went all 2,800 miles or so to preach about him to spread the gospel, and he died for it. So is the fact that Jesus is God an important fact to our Christianity? Absolutely. It's the foundation that the blood of the martyrs was spilled on. Point four. God's disposition toward us. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. Now, this is an interesting verse in Scripture. Many would tell you, uh, maybe popular TV preachers would tell you, Well, you need to claim that verse because it's for you. That's your verse. You need to claim that verse because that verse is for you. Knowing that verse has nothing to do with you. This verse has everything to do with you. We know that in Christ we are truly blessed. Amen? To be accepted into the family of God is such a wonderful gift. An amazing gift. The gift, though, is even more immense for us who have never seen Christ. We are given the gift of faith by God, and He gives us the very gift we need to believe in the greatest gift, which is salvation through Jesus Christ. That is truly being blessed beyond all ability to measure, that we may believe not only in something that we've never seen, but we may be given the gift to believe that. Before the foundation of the world, God made this plan of redemption to save us. And He has blessed us in Christ beyond all comprehension. My final point, point five, is God's final purposes for His people. It says in verse 30 and 31, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. What a beautiful set of verses. It's these verses stand out in Scripture in a major way. Uh, R.C. Sproul calls these the climactic verses of the Gospel of John. I would say these verses stand out for a specific reason. Of this is one of the only sets of verses that explains to you why the author wrote it and why he did the, why he wrote the things he wrote. He says, "I wrote the these things are written." So that, this is the purpose of the writing. We know that all scripture is inspired, right? Do do we know what that means? All scripture is inspired. That means that God breathed it out. The men who were writing weren't just writing a cool story. Over 40 authors, over 1,500 years, over many different continents, wrote the most cohesive narrative, prophetic, poetic, knowledge-filled book that does not contradict itself no matter what they may say. It's got one message. It's got one point, And that point is Jesus Christ. These writers wrote what God inspired them to write and John tells you why. It's the Explanation of not only what John wrote, but for all of Scripture, I think. And that's why John wrote it. Let's read it again. Now, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in His name. Let's look at the purposes of the written works of Christ. What's the point? The first purpose of the written works of Christ is this. That we may believe that he is the Christ. We must see Christ as the chosen one of God. Why must Christ be the chosen one of God? Because the chosen one of God was to bear our sins to die for our sins, to bear the wrath of God for our sins, so that we may be saved. He must bear the sin of the world for his elect. He must be Messiah. That's why the signs and the wonders are written down. They testify to the fact that this is the Messiah that has been prophesied ever since Genesis 3.15. This is Him. This is the Messiah. Because if He is the Messiah, that means that the work of salvation is complete in Him. As Brother Dale prays sometimes, we are saved by the merits of Jesus Christ alone. He saves. His work. That's why John wrote it down. John wrote down three words that could be the most important words Jesus ever said. He said, it is finished. Tetelestai, it is finished. Those words had to be written because Jesus accomplished the work on the cross and they are written down so that you may believe that he is your savior He is the Messiah. He is Christ, the chosen one of God. And he saves and he can do it to the uttermost. He completes his work. The second purpose for the written works of Christ are this. That we may believe that he is God. We believe that God is one in essence and three in persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. That that is how He is. Do we understand it all? My small group, Wednesday and I, talked about this. Do we understand the Trinity perfectly? Absolutely not. That's why we're so bad at giving examples of it, right? But we know that it's the truth because the Scripture shows it. The Scripture testifies to it. We must believe that Christ is God. Only, listen to me, only God can do miracles. Your money sent to a TBN preacher cannot work a miracle in your life. God works miracles. Can God still do miracles? He can do whatever he wants. He's God. Despite what the TV preachers and popular Christian books may say, Only God can raise the dead. Only God can feed thousands with just a little bit of fish and some bread. Only God can walk on water. Only God can open blinded eyes. Open deaf ears. Pick up a child who is falling into the fire. Cast that demon out of him and he can be made whole. Only God can do that. Only God can take my heart of stone out of my chest and give me a heart of flesh. Only God can do that. Miracles that we see in Scripture that have become what some would say are. They must be regulative in your life. You must see miracles. I saw the quote this week, and I nearly threw my phone. I need to stop scrolling Facebook so much. I saw a quote. It said, no miracles means no gospel. That is one of the worst heresies I've ever seen in my life. No Christ, no gospel. And Christ works miracles. But just because you aren't seeing miracles happen in your life doesn't mean that the gospel isn't at work in your heart. These miracles are not to tell us how we should live and what we should expect from God all the time. That's not what these miracles are for in Scripture. That's not why they're there. These miracles are there to show us that this is God 100%. Jesus is God. We can believe it. He's 100% God, 100% man. He walked this earth. He preached the gospel. And yes, he performed miracles. And he died for you. And he rose again. That's what it's about. The only one who could live a sinless life was was God. The only one that could bear all that sin and guilt and shame that he took for us was God. The only one that could endure the wrath of God for that sin and bear our punishment was God. And the only one that rose again on the third day was Jesus Christ, second person of the Trinity, God the Son himself. We must believe that he is God. Now the third reason and the third purpose of the written works of Jesus Christ in our lives and and contained in scripture is this. That we may have life. I put an exclamation point on it. I thought it was important. You see, Before you knew Christ, you weren't like the man who fell out of the boat and drowned and needing help and somebody reached down a hand and pulled you up. No, you were the skeleton on the bottom of the ocean floor. You were dead. You were dead in your trespasses and sin, is how Scripture describes it. Before Christ, you're dead. No life. And the rescue of Christ in your life is not like the man... Being rescued out of drowning and being pulled back into the boat. No, the rescue of Christ is as if Christ himself jumped out of the boat, swam to the bottom of the ocean, and picked up a pile of bones. And by the time he brought it to the top of the water, it was a living, breathing human being finally. You live when Christ rescues you. He brings us to life in him. That's the wonderful picture of baptism, C.J., That you go down under the water as Christ was buried. And when you raise back up, that sign showing, I am alive in Christ. What a beautiful picture of baptism, right? That's what it's all about. He takes us, he brings us to life after being dead in our sins for however long. And he wants us to live knowing him. To know him more and more to desire fellowship, to desire prayer, time reading his scriptures about him, time associating with my brothers and sisters in Christ, joining together and lifting up our voices to sing songs like, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. May we see him more clearly each day as we live alive in him. And that's not the only promise of life that we face. Because one day, we all will close our eyes for the last time on this earth, in this, in this life, right? Right? It is appointed unto man once to die. The death rate in this world is 100%, right? But we have a glorious promise that upon closing my eyes in death, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I'll open my eyes. The next thing I see after I close my eyes in death will be the face of my Savior ever to live with him that this however long I get on this earth 90, 100 years however long I live right however long we live on this earth is just a blink it's just a blink compared to the eternity awaiting us in Christ Jesus and one day scripture says with a shout With the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God, the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain will not hinder them. We will also rise to meet him, and we will ever be with him. Eternal life. There's more than this, guys. I know you you look at the TV and you look at the things going on. Maybe you have, you know, sicknesses and issues in your families and these things that are happening on this earth and, are, and they're awful. And God cares about those things. But we must always remember, this is not it. This isn't the final place. This does not define where I end up. I may suffer on this earth, but I can take heart because Christ has overcome the world. And that one day, because I'm in him, I will join him in heaven and ever be with him. Life. The scriptures give us life. Amen. I pray that we would all live a life where we can see the absolute joy of God in this. Not just the head knowledge, not just knowing it's true. That's important. We need to know it's true. This needs to get into our hearts. This needs to affect us daily. What great love Christ has shown towards us. What great love shown to us by the God of all the universe. That he would die for us. And give us eternal life. May we all see that despite our sinfulness and imperfections. And we all have them. Christ cares. And Christ is so patient with us. The Bible talks about him being slow to anger and rich in mercy. Thank goodness he's slow to anger because sometimes I need to be smashed. That we may see that Christ is God and that he has blessed us beyond measure by saving us and bringing us into the family, that we may be called joint heirs with Christ, the Christ of God, Son of God, we may be called joint heirs with him, sons and daughters of the the Father. What joy we should take in that. We must take joy in the fact that he gave us his word that we may believe all that he is and all that he does and that we can truly have life in him. And I'm a firm believer. We li- we have life in him here and we have eternal life with him forever. Amen? Let's pray.